You're listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today, we continue our series called Church Hurt. And as far as I know, we're going to end this series today, um, unless the Holy Spirit wants to do something different. But last week, we looked at how Satan will use church hurt to isolate you and get you on the fringe of the fold. And it's there where he desires to pick you off. So if he can get you outside the fold, outside the herd, and get you on the fringe, that's where Satan wants to pick you off. And Jesus knew that this was going to happen. So he addressed it in Matthew chapter 18, which by the way, we're going to be reading some more in Matthew chapter 18 today. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, you can. But Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 18, and he told this parable of how one sheep gets separated from the flock. One sheep, there were 99 sheep that were together, one was separated on on the fringe of the fold, and the shepherd left the 99 to go find that one, and I told you, if you find yourself dealing with church hurt, the shepherd has come looking for you. If you find yourself injured in any way, and it happens, I told you, churches are made up of people, humanity, we we are, are, are... full of errors. We, 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 we make mistakes. Um, we have different personalities. And, and because the church is made up of humanity, it, it's bound to happen. And Jesus knew that. And so he said, not when, when a wolf goes astray, not when a goat goes astray. He, he said it was a sheep. It was a Christian. And so when someone is on, on the outside, Jesus comes looking for you. And I believe last Sunday, Jesus came looking for some of us. Amen. Don't stay on the fringe. Lean in. Stay connected in spite of the pain because we're simply better together, church. We are. We are the body of Christ. And as Paul told us, we work together. We function better together. With that being said, and I want everyone to listen close to me because this is an important statement. I also understand that there are extreme circumstances that might not be conducive for reconciliation or face-to-face forgiveness. I understand that. Um, there, a, a teaching like this, uh, though it applies to many, especially where I'm going today, though it applies to, to most of us, there are some extreme situations where face-to-face reconciliation is not possible because some situations are not healthy. And, and this, this is sad that I even have to mention this, but it, it happens. If you have been physically or sexually abused by church leadership or someone in a church, at a, at a previous church, first of all, you're in a safe place, as I told you last week. You're in a safe place. We want to help you walk through that. Or, in some cases, if you have been extremely mentally abused by church leadership, I completely understand that facing your offender might not be the best situation to put yourself in, and I would not advise you to do that. So understand, though, what I'm going to teach today applies to most of us in the room, and and, and well, it applies to all of us, but it doesn't apply to all situations. Some situations are unique. And in those cases, here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you to do, because you cannot process it without this. You need Christian counseling. Not just counseling. You need Christian counseling, and we've got resources. We can help you with that. You need to seek Christian counseling, and you need to pray that God would heal your heart against those offenses. Okay? 
in those extreme circumstances, you still need to pray that God would help your heart heal in those, in, in those offenses. Yet there are others that do not fall into those extreme circumstances. And what needs to happen, and I'm talking to most of us in the room right now, we need to develop a spiritual backbone and have some hard conversations. Thank you. We need to develop a backbone and have some hard conversations. I'm not telling you to be ugly about it. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4, I, I quote it often. We have to speak the truth in love. If you go into it, you know, guns are blazing, it's not going to end well. And so today, I want you to understand that in most situations, this applies, and it's time that we grow up. This is the year of us growing up. The, it, we need to grow up, and we need to have some hard adult conversations in those offenses. The enemy has convinced so many of us that being hurt and offended is okay and that it's just your cross to bear. And I'm, I'm asking you, be careful in that because you just might find your identity in that pain. And, and, and don't let what has happened define you. Don't let your offense define who you are. If last week was about awareness, okay, I'm, 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 I'm on the fringe of the fold. Jesus is, is searching for me. He's looking for me in the middle of all my hurt and all my pain. If last week was about awareness, today is about not only fixing it, but it's also about preventive maintenance. And church, this is such an important message for us as, as a body of believers. We are 17 and a half years old as a church. It, sometimes it feels like yesterday. 17 and a half years, and, and it has been steady growth all along the way. And even though numerical growth is not how you judge a, a, a church's spirituality, okay, it is important that because anything that's, that's, that's healthy will be growing. Okay, and, and I know the enemy wants to get his foot in the door and he wants to destroy what God is doing in this church because we're accomplishing crazy things, crazy things. Just last year, 1,010 people through the ministry of DCC gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. I mean, <clears throat> and, and, and so I know the enemy wants to destroy it. All the money that we raise and give away to children globally and locally. He wants to destroy that. He hates what we're doing. We're fighting uh, for the unborn. He hates that. So you don't think we, we have a target painted on us for the hounds of hell? I'm, I mean, Satan wants to. And, and let me say this, to, especially to our guests, because those of you that are here, you know, we're not dealing with anything right now. We're not like going through turmoil. We're not in the middle of strife. That's not it at all. I promise you this is about preventive maintenance. But what I'm about to teach you, if you will allow it to, it will improve your life drastically at church, at home, on the job, at school. It, it just, what I'm about to teach you has the ability to improve your life tremendously. Last week, I shared the story of my family's church hurt, the church split that we walked through, Mandy and I as young adults, the loss of personal mentors, friends, and even some family members. It was one of the most painful seasons of our life. I can't stress that enough. Um, as a matter of fact, I, Mandy and I both agreed that 
that season was even harder than walking through cancer that Mandy had to face. And that's, that's a bold statement. But it was so painful for us. And what I didn't tell you was how I felt justified in my anger for years, even after I was in ministry. Justified in my anger even after we planted this church. What had happened was not right. And to this day, I, I could feel justified in my righteous indignation if I wanted to. I remember one time, me and my brother, who was a youth pastor at my dad's church, the church that I told you about last week that split. It was me, it was my brother, and it was two other youth pastors. We, all four of us were youth pastors. There's other, other two guys, their, name, their names were Roger and Wayne. We'll just, we'll just call them that. Roger and Wayne, because that was their names, their actual real names. I'm not protecting the innocent here. And we all carpooled to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for a youth leaders conference. And, and so the four of us rode in one car and our wives all traveled in the car behind us. And it was just for fellowship. So all the guys were together, all the girls were together. And, and we left North Florida. We went up the coast to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and it was a great three days. It was wonderful. We ate together, laughing, talking about raising kids. We talked about ministry together. Um, our wives hung out a little bit, went shopping um, in between sessions. Uh, us guys, we went to this little par three executive golf course one day. We called it the three club championship. You could only carry three clubs from your bag. And so we went and played this little par three course. My brother got a hole in one. It was one of the most amazing days. It was, it was so much fun. And I can honestly say that it, it was a good time. This trip was a good time. But like I said last week, it was good until it wasn't. Like, you don't see it coming. And that's, that's most things. It's always good until it's not. Have you ever noticed that? Like, your job is good until it's not. Your marriage is good until it's not. Raising kids is good until it's not. It just seems like almost everything in life is good until it's not. And so we were having a great time. Conference was over. And I was driving us home down I-95, coming down uh, the coast there in eastern Georgia. And, and my brother was riding shotgun next to me. So I'm driving. He's riding. The other two guys are in the back. And we're having this conversation about pride and humility. Just a life-giving conversation about pride and humility. Checking our hearts. When all of a sudden, Roger in the back seat pipes up and says, Take you two guys, for instance, and he points at me and my brother who had just walked through church hurt, the pain of church hurt. And he points at us and he says, take you two guys, for instance, if I was you, I would go and wash, and he names the guy that, that split the church. He names him, he said, I would go and wash his feet for him as an act of humility. I turned, I took my eyes off the road. I went, What? And Wayne sitting in the back seat, his eyes got about that big. I mean, this guy's just innocent. He's like, the road, watch the road. And I looked up and there's an exit and I took that car off that exit as fast as I could. I pulled into a gas station. I put it in park. I didn't even turn it off. I slammed the door as hard as I could. I was hoping all the windows would break. I stomped into that gas station. My brother was right behind me. And the women pulled up and his wife got out of the car. Apparently, this is a problem with him. She got out of the car and she said, well, what did my husband do to tick them off? 
It's tough. Wash his feet? After what he did? After how he hurt me, hurt my family? For years, I struggled with that situation. And you want me to wash his feet? It was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. What? what? The truth of the matter is that I lived for 15 years victimized by what had happened. For 15 years, I let it control me. I was hurt. I was betrayed. The one good thing that came out of it was that I became an extremely loyal staff member to the two pastors that I worked for. If you were to go and ask them, they'll tell you Rocky McKinley was the most loyal staff member I ever had. Because I was determined that nothing was going to catch them off guard. If I, if I heard Scuttlebutt out there, anyone talking about them, anything, I made sure that I put an end to that. And if someone was planning something against my pastor, I went to them, to my pastor, and I said, you need to keep an eye on this. I was extremely loyal to this guy because that Absalom spirit was not going to take root in my heart. I was not. And when the enemy would come and, and, and try to pat me on the, on the back and say, look how good you are. When you're pastor of this church, um, uh, you know, you're going to be a great pastor. I would make sure that I would put that fire out as quick as possible because I was not going to betray my pastor that is the one great thing that came out of all of that is that it taught me how to be loyal. And I protected the men of God that I worked for. But in my hurt and in my pain, I was determined not to become Absalom. Loyalty became my mantra. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to take the pain that you've been through and use it for the, for the greater good. It's, it's great. But what wasn't healthy was the inner bitterness and anger that I felt in my heart towards a certain individual that caused all of that pain in my life. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 17 and 1. It's a powerful statement. It says, Then he said to the, his, to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, it's going to happen. Offenses are coming. You might as well be prepared for it. That's, that's why we're doing this today. Be ready for the offenses because they're coming. They're inevitable offenses. You're going to be offended in life. It's going to happen not just once. It's going to happen many times in life. You're going to have the opportunity to be offended. And if you're not careful, you're going to be like me. And you're going to let it take root. And bitterness is going to, to control you. If you live long enough around people, you will be offended. And if you have any connection to humanity long enough, chances are you're eventually going to offend someone. You're going to be the offender. At some point, you're going to hurt someone. Shoot, some of you could live by yourself in the North Pole and still figure out a way to offend yourself. It's going to happen. It happens. So what do we do with this offense? That's the question. What, what do we do with it? And this is one of the number one areas where, where people get it wrong. Unfortunately, it's one of the number one areas where Christians get it wrong also. We're not exempt from this. People in the world get it wrong. Christians get it wrong. We like to sit around playing that victim card, sitting in our hurt, sitting in our pain, 
rather than doing something about it. Well, wouldn't you know it, Jesus had an answer for this. And these are the parts of your Bible you like to ignore. Because Jesus told us exactly what to do with this offense. It's no secret. It's, it's words in red. He said it. He had a plan on how to deal with the offenses. And so today I want to do something that I don't normally do. I want to reread last week's text and then continue on with our text today of what Jesus followed after he talked about the 99. Okay, let's read it. Matthew 18 verses, let's start at verse 12. Jesus said, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's keep flowing right into this week's text. Very next verse, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. In other words, you begin treating them exactly like you treat Gentiles that you don't like to be around or tax collectors that you can't stand. He says, if they refuse to listen to the church, then this is what you have to do. So there's some steps here. It's just interesting to me that right after Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep, he immediately addresses how we are to deal with church hurt and pain. Do you not think that the lost sheep and how to deal with offense go hand in hand? He, he, he didn't even take a breath. He, he just immediately went right into this. And while Satan is trying to get you away from the herd on the fringe of the fold, and Jesus is coming after you, Jesus continues with an explanation on what to do when you are offended by another sheep, by one of the sheep. When another sheep offends you, what do you do with it? An offense can be defined as a feeling of being insulted, slighted, or wrong. Being offended it, it's, it's an emotional response is what it is to a perceived injustice or indignity against your life. When we're offended, we are experiencing hurt feelings. Sometimes it's resentment, it's anger, it's contempt, um, it, it's personal outrage. And, and they're, they're the result of us being unfairly treated and feeling like somehow our rights or our dignity or, or whatever has been violated. That's, that's how offenses come. And, and if these offenses are not dealt with properly, they can bring spiritual harm to the believer. Hear me. If they're not dealt with properly, they will bring spiritual harm to the believer. I'm going to say it louder. If these offenses are not dealt with properly, it's going to cause you spiritual harm. So Jesus offers us this three-step process to deal with offenses. I'm not always big on, on steps, three-step processes, you know, 12 steps to a better you, you know, that kind of, I'm not, I'm not big on that stuff. But if we've ever needed a clear-cut method, like, let's don't read between the lines, let's, you know, Jesus, I don't have time to figure out the Bible code on this, like, I need to know exactly what, how to do this. He, he did it for us, and this is that area that we need it the most, and so Jesus just said, you know what, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to speak in parables on this. I'm just going to tell you what to do. Thank God, because we need to know what to do. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Pastor, I've heard this before. Pastor, I've heard you preach this before. It reminds me of that story of this old Baptist pastor. There was a Baptist church that was looking for a new pastor, so they brought him in, and they, they interviewed a few candidates, and they landed on this one particular guy. They liked him a lot. And uh, so they offered him the job. You come be our pastor. It was great. He got there the first Sunday, and he, he, he preached a, an outstanding message, opened his Bible, preached this powerful sermon that was biblically sound, it was theologically accurate, and, and it was just applicable. People knew how to, 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 to walk it out, and, and people began nudging each other, and they were like, this is just who we needed. This guy's perfect. The second Sunday, he takes the pulpit, he walks up to it, opens his Bible, he preaches a powerful sermon, theologically accurate. It was applicable to the congregation's everyday life. However, it was the exact same sermon that he preached in week one. Some of the people were a little concerned, but nevertheless, they extended grace. The third Sunday, he walks up to the pulpit. He preaches the same exact message, and and the congregation, though they were confident that this preacher was a godly man, they were very concerned, and a few church members approached a group of deacons, and they said, listen, if he has the audacity to preach that sermon one more time, you're going to have to have a talk with him. On the fourth Sunday, the pastor walked up, and he took the, the pulpit. He preached the exact same message again. After service, the deacons called him aside, and they said, can we talk to you? And they said, sure, brothers, what can I do for you? And they said, you know, our question is, why do you keep preaching the same sermon? Do you have another sermon? Is this the only sermon that you have? The preacher took off his glasses, he folded his arms, and he says, I do have another sermon, but this church hasn't obeyed the first one yet. Yes, I have preached Matthew chapter 18 before. I have. I know that most of you know the three-step process that Jesus shared, but until this becomes a common practice, I feel the need to keep preaching it because some of the best people that I know, they do not practice this in their own personal lives, and it has the ability to change everything. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, Jesus says it, it's about that one that sins against you is what he talks about, that, that one who offends you, the one who sins against you. That phrase, sins against you, comes from the Greek word scandalon. It's where we get our word scandalize or scandalous from. And, and scandalon means a stumbling block or an offense. A stumbling block or an offense. It is the same word that Jesus used in Luke 17 and 1 that I read earlier that said it's impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible that no stumbling blocks or offenses will come. So, church, again, offenses are coming. The question is, will you allow them to become a stumbling block in your faith? Are, are you going to keep tripping over, over this situation? Are you going to fall over the matter? Are you going to let it affect your spiritual life? So Jesus, in his great wisdom and understanding, the very one who at 12 years old marveled the teachers of the law with his understanding and his answers, that same Jesus gives us three steps to overcoming church hurt. I think we should sit up straight. I think we should listen to what he's saying, take note of this, and say, okay, here's how you want me to walk it out. This is the way to recovery on this. I'm ready to get over some church hurt. I'm ready to get over some pain. So Jesus, you know what to do. Teach me. So just imagine that we're standing before Christ 
And we're hearing him share these words. Jesus gives us three steps to overcoming church hurt, which by, uh, um, uh, uh, by the way, they, they work in most of our relationships. So, so just, just understand that most of these steps will work in everyday life. But listen to what he said. The first step is this. If someone offends you, then go and tell them how much it hurt you. That's simple. If someone offends you, Scandalon. If someone offends you, go to that person and tell them that they hurt you. If your brother or sister sins against you, don't stand back and wait for that person to come to you first and apologize or say, I I'm sorry, I was wrong. If you see that the conflict has occurred and, and, and someone has sinned against you, Jesus said, it is up to you to make the first move. You see the problem. Is it possible that maybe the other person does not know that it's a problem? Or maybe they don't even know how it offended you? Uh, uh, and, and let me say this. It's easy. It's easy. There are many times people have come to me and said, Pastor, I, you hurt me when you said this. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that. I just think 99% of our problems can be fixed if we'll follow step one of what Jesus said. Just, just have the courage, have the backbone, have the, the, the godly unction within you to say, you know what? This relationship means too much to me to let it fester. I'm going to go and I'm going to have a bold conversation with this person in love because I want to help fix this. The whole, the whole process is about making amends. And, and, and I, I don't want to live with this bitterness. I don't, I don't want it to take root in my heart. So I'm going to follow step one of what Christ said. This, you, I, this is what I thought about in my study time. I thought, you know what? I should just stop right here and say, listen, if someone has offended you and they're sitting in this room, get up and go to them right now. Don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But man, I'm telling you, we could fix so many problems. Church hurt could be eliminated before it even gets started if we would just follow step one. And it's been a while since I taught this, but at DCC, we have a rule. Right place, right time, right attitude. Say it with me. Right place, right time, right attitude. Say it again. Right place, right time, right attitude. Listen, if I offend you, if I do something that, that, that you get upset with, at the right place, at the right time, and in the right attitude, come to me. Come to me. Come talk to me about it. But I've got to give this disclaimer. Please hear me. Right after service today, standing in that foyer is not the right place, it's not the right time, and it's not the right attitude. It's not the right place because there's other people around. It's not the right time because I just finished preaching. And Pastor Rocky is not going to be in the right attitude if you attempt to do that, okay? So understand, it's not all on you. Some of it's on me. But we can come to each other at the right place, the right time, and the right attitude, and we can solve some stuff. If you approach it that way in this church, in your marriage, on your job, 99% of your problems will never fester and become bigger than what they are. I'm thankful that we don't have those problems at DCC. Some churches thrive on discord. It's like they, they can't even function without it. They, they, they live for dysfunction. That's not us. But you've seen these churches. Some of you have come from these churches. They fight over children's ministry. They fight over who gets to sing the solo. They fight over the color of the carpet. I've shared this before, but 
I've got an evangelist friend named Mo, and he tells the story of a church out in California that they split over the mural that was painted in the baptistry of the church because Adam had a belly button, and some people in the church didn't think Adam was born of, uh, he wasn't born of a woman, therefore he never had a belly button. And they split the church over it. Listen to some practical tips from PR. You ready? When you approach that person one-on-one, don't go in with guns loaded. The goal is always restoration. Galatians 6 and 1 says, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. If you walk in and you're ready for the fight and they have no idea that they're about to enter into a fight, it's going to blow up. And, And here's another tip for you. Keep it between the two of you, one-on-one. Just the two of you. You don't need others involved in that first step. Proverbs 25, verses 8 and 9 says, Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what what will you do in the end when your neighbor, neighbor humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of another. Keep it between the two of you. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. Let's say me and Paul. Paul, just walk to the stage right here. Let's say me and Paul are having strife. We, we are not seeing eye to eye. Rather than go to him and say, Paul, you're a moron. You're not thinking properly. I love you, brother, but you're just, you know, again, if I call you moron, it's because I love you. If I call you idiot, it's different, okay? <laughs> Paul... Instead of going to him and saying, Paul, we need to talk about this. I go over here and I'm like, Jake, come here. BJ, come here. Y'all come here. Y'all come here. Martin, come here. Come here. And I'm like, guys, now I want you to listen. Paul's an idiot. And, And I need to share with you what he's done. All I'm doing is sowing discord. Instead of having the backbone to go and have a conversation with my brother who loves the Lord, I'm over here sowing discord because I'm trying to build my alliance. I'm trying to build my team. I just, you know, because misery loves company, right? I just want them on my side is all I'm doing. Gentlemen, you have the right to rebuke me. We should have the right in this church to rebuke each other so that it never comes to that forcing me to have to come to him we should remind each other thank you guys you can go be seated thank you you moron (laughs) keep it between the two of you too many believers mess this thing up right We, we 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 can't we can't function that way number two jesus said if they refuse to listen take one or two others along so if you try to have that conversation Jesus said, and it, and it doesn't work, you, 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 can't, you two can't come to an agreement. Then he said, take one or two others with you. This way, two can hold him while you beat him up. It's brilliant, right? Jesus knew, no, I'm just kidding. That's not it. This is a pivotal point in the conflict. When, when you take two other people with you to, to, to go and have this conversation, this is where they will either receive wise counsel or maybe you will receive wise counsel or one or the other will fall deeper into the offense this is a pivotal moment and 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 if step one doesn't work and the and the person will not listen don't give up go to this step jesus said to take one or two others along with you and and they're going to serve as witnesses they're going to be there to help reconcile several scriptures point to the importance of taking one or two others along john 8 and 17 says 
in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. You might need two people to talk sense into the both of you. So don't take someone that just agrees with you. Take someone that loves both of you. I need to take someone into this conversation that loves me and they love Paul and they want to see Rocky and Paul be healed. Say it louder. Guys, this is good advice. Proverbs 15 and 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. 2 Corinthians 13 and 1 says that every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 19 and 15. Now listen, this is what it gets serious. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. When Jesus said this about taking two or three others with you, he was referring back to the law and said, listen, if you're going to get anything settled in this, you're going to need some outside help. If you've tried one-on-one and that doesn't work, take two or three people with you that, that can help you come to some type of agreement. And you know what? You can't always go back to the friendship that you once had, but you can somehow establish uh, 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 being cordial with one another for the health of the the common body, of the greater body. So you've got to strive for this. It would be in everyone's best interest to get the right people involved in this. Some years ago in in Texas, uh, they were being plagued by this Mexican bandit, and, and, and he would slip across the border, and he would rob their banks, and his name was Jorge Rodriguez. If there's a Jorge Rodriguez in the house, I apologize. But his name was Jorge Rodriguez. And um, they hired this detective to get their money back. And the detective tracked Jorge down to this small Mexican town where he found him sitting in a, in a, in a bar, in a saloon. And he confronted him right there. And he said, tell me where you hid the millions or I'll blow you away right here. And at this point, Juan Garcia uh, 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 just a bystander, he, he stepped up and, and he told the detective, he said, Jorge can't speak English. So he said, just, you know, tell me what you want him to know and, and I'll translate to Jorge. So Juan translated and jabbered away in Spanish for a few seconds and he, he told, uh, Jorge told Juan in Spanish that if he would take the man to a well just outside of town, climb down into the well and remove the, the third brick, there he's going to find over a million dollars in gold. Jorge turned to the detective and said, Senor, he says that he has no idea where the gold is. I'm sorry. You better get the right people involved that, that want to bring healing and restoration to the conflict. Amen? Amen. Let's move on. Let's move on. Number three, Jesus said, if they still refuse to listen after you confront it one-on-one, after you've tried to include a couple of other people, godly people, if they still refuse, he said, then take it to the church. Now, this works great if it involves church hurt. Okay? This is, this is what Christ is talking about. If it's brothers and sisters in Christ, this works great. If it's a conflict at work, and they don't attend our church, it's probably not beneficial to take it to the church except for requesting prayer for your situation because I'm not going to your boss to deal with your offense, okay? That's not the way it's going to work. But if it is conflict within the church, after you've confronted them one-on-one, after you've taken one or two with you, then you speak with church authority about the matter. And here's what happens all so often. 
we skip steps one and two and come directly to church authority and say, I've got a problem with so-and-so. They did this. They did that. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And we're right over here. And let me tell you where it puts me. I've either got to break confidence and go deal with that, or you've got to give me permission to go deal with it. And when I get there, they're going to say these words to me. Why didn't they come talk to me about it? And all it does is create more strife. And Jesus said, that's not the way we're going to handle this. That's not the way we're going to handle it. You go one-on-one, then you take one or two others with you, and then you go, because at that time, it, it, they know, they know. We've tried, and we have not been able to accomplish it. If a person's heart is in the right place, usually someone in spiritual authority can help bring healing to the matter. However, you've got to realize that there are people, and this is hard for me to teach right now, but hear me. There are people who are wolves in sheep's clothing that are just there to try to destroy the church, and sometimes spiritual authority has to deal appropriately with these people. Just this past year, and I'm not saying any names with this, but just this past year we had someone in our church that did not like our month of Sabbath that we have been doing every summer since 2007. We take a month of Sabbath. We have Sunday services, but we take midweek off. All small groups are canceled. We just have, we need a break every July, and we do it every July. This person had only been coming to our church a couple of years and became very agitated with your church staff because I, I sat them down. I tried my best. All I need to do is just explain to them why. Would not hear it. They started calling our, our, our staff, started calling our, our front desk at the office, harassing the women that, that answer the phones, started coming in when I wasn't here, harassing them. And uh, I, I finally caught this person pulling in one day and pulled them into the council room. I said, Pastor Zach, can you walk in here with me? And, and Pastor Andrew, and they walked in with me, and I sat down across from the table and tried for the fourth time to explain why we have a month of Sabbath. To which this person looked at me and responded, well, that's stupid. And I'm letting you know that wolf in sheep's clothing that I tried, they're just here to, to destroy. They have no other, some of you were approached because this person was sowing discord. And I looked across the table from this person. I said, I love you and I'm sure you're going to heaven. You're just not going to heaven through way of DCC. I need you to go find another church. And you're welcome because I love you and I'm going to protect us from people sowing discord among the brethren and the sisters of this church. It's not going to happen. It's tough. It's hard. But when you follow the steps that Jesus gave us, the heart will be revealed. And if the heart's in the right place, there'll be reconciliation. If it's not then you've got to look at it and you've got to, you, you, you've got to inspect it. You've got to figure out what's the motive here. What, it, what is, is Satan trying to tear us apart? And, and then you have to look at it and you have to deal with it. Jesus gave us these three steps to deal with our offenses, but very few Christians actually deal with their offenses this way. But I want you to think about the consequences. That if you don't deal with it properly, it's going to cost you some meaningful relationships. 
Because there's people in your life that God put in your life that it's worth having the tough conversation with. So it's going to cost you some godly friendships. It might go so far as to uproot you and your family from the place that God planted you to grow and thrive in the body of Christ. You may let that offense grow so much that you just determine being a part of this church is not worth it. If you just would have dealt with it the proper way that Jesus told you to, you'd never reach that place. But here's, here's the saddest part. It diminishes your authority and your power as citizens of heaven when you don't deal with it the right way. Because right after Jesus talks about lost sheep, and then he talks about offenses and how to deal with them, he continues in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 18, he says, Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. He said, let's talk about sheep and that one that's hurt. It's, it's out there on the fringe. But let me show you how not to get there. Let's deal with our offenses properly. And then he goes right into, and if you don't, it's going to cost you spiritual authority. It's not by coincidence. Jesus knew exactly where he was heading in this conversation. And there's so many of us that have been rendered powerless because we've allowed offense to take root. That God wants to do great things with us, but some of the people that we're offended at and that we're not dealing with properly are the very people who could be those that agree with us in prayer so that we could watch miracles take place in the kingdom of God. And you have to look back and you have to see where all of this stems from. Satan is the father of lies and he'll plant it in your heart that that relationship with that brother or that sister in Christ it is not able to be reconciled, and, and, and therefore, you will break it off, and you won't try to follow the biblical plan that Christ laid before us. Church, we're growing up this year. There's no problems. No problems. We're okay. But I'm telling you, we will become stronger, tighter knit, better together. When we learn to follow the plan that Christ gave us. Around 2010, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me personally about the whole church split incident that happened 13 years earlier at, at, at a church that I wasn't even on staff at. Just a church that meant a lot to me. And I felt like God was telling me that, that he could no longer bless my ministry until I dealt with this offense. And I pleaded with God, I cannot do this. And that's when someone in our church, Reba, you came to me. And you called the person by name. And you spoke some words to me that day that I had to really go home and pray about on how to deal and how to, to, to get to a place of reconciliation. God used you that day to speak to my life. And I didn't like it, but he used you. It, I, it, it wasn't you. It was the situation. I liked you <laughs> most of the time. 
But I was pleading with God, I can't do this, God. I can't do what you're asking me to do. And for the next two years, God began preparing me mentally to have a conversation with someone I had not spoken with for 15 years because of hurt, because of pain. Church hurt was so deep inside of me. And for those two years, he kept dealing with me. And what God was preparing me for was, and this is what I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me. You can't go into this conversation and expect the apology that you want, that you are demanding. Because what I wanted was, I was dead wrong. I never should have done it. And, and, and please forgive me. You know, full responsibility. That's the only way. I even had family members come to me and say, I'm not forgiving him until he asked me for forgiveness. And, and, and I, I, knew, I knew I couldn't live that way, but yet I hadn't forgiven him. And so for those two years, God prepared my heart. You're not going to get the apology you want, but you need to have this conversation. You need to be prepared for it. So I called a family member that worked for this person, was on staff at his church. And I said, I need you to set up a lunch so that he and I can talk. And he set it up, and we met at a, at a restaurant that had a back room, and, and they reserved a table in the back room for us. And the three of us went and sat down, and it was, it was awkward, the small talk, how it started. I mean, imagine picking up a conversation with someone you haven't seen in 15 years. That was the best man in your wedding. He was the mentor in your life. You're in ministry today because of him. And you sit down and you have this conversation and you start. And I, I don't want to have small talk with this person. And we start talking. And after we ate, this family member of mine stood up and said, I'm going to dismiss myself so that you two can talk. And he walked out. And we began to talk. And the Holy Spirit was right. Imagine that. I didn't get the apology that I wanted, that I felt like I deserved. But here's what I did get. If I could go back and change the way some things were done, I would. That was it. And it was all I needed. Because at that moment... The hurt, the bitterness, the anger, it all went away. It just vanished from my heart. I wasn't hard anymore. And God said, now I can use you. And I went back this morning And I looked at just one of the metrics of what you possibly could, could measure church success from. Again, one of, one of the metrics. It's, and, and I don't base everything off this, trust me. But I went and looked at our attendance. From that moment, it, it had to be around 2012, right around there. And when I looked at the chart, this church began to explode. God started pouring people into this place. We started seeing salvations. 
he could not use me the way he wanted to use me until that bitterness in my heart was gone. And it took me 15 years to get the courage to have that conversation. Don't waste years off your life allowing bitterness to take root. It hinders what God wants to do in and through your life. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.